It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What's going on? Welcome to the show. Yeah, it's September 15th. Thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening and the support. The show is made possible by patrons such as Greg, Luella, Cheryl, Timbo, Richard, Bill, Bob, Robin, Andy, and John. Thanks so much for the support. They became patrons to the show, and you can as well by visiting thepetecallendershow.com. Clicking on the link there, there are also links in the description of the podcast. If you are listening to it on a device, you can click right through that way as well. So there was a debate last night. I know how exciting it actually wasn't. It actually was a pretty entertaining. And I don't mean that as a, you know, song and dance, tap dance kind of a entertaining. It, it just it wasn't, you know, eyes glazing over boring kind of a debate. I thought WRAL and the moderator, David Crabtree, did a very good job. I liked the format of it. And I know this is. I don't know if I'm being nitpicky about it or anything or like wonky focusing on this stuff, but I think it really does matter uh, the way you craft, the way you structure a debate. It matters in the kind of discussion and therefore the kinds of answers and statements that you get out of a debate. Uh, And the way they did it last night was more informal. They didn't put the candidates on a clock. They didn't, you know, yell time and do you want to rebuttal and all this other stuff. It wasn't it it was not that formal. It was more of a a conversation, which I thought freed up the candidates to make their points and to, uh, you know, explain things, but also to to make their attacks, to make their arguments more pointed because they didn't have to uh, race ahead and and. Uh, you know, worry about the timing of it, and that really does matter when you're when you're trying to cram all of the answer into a one minute, you know, time frame. A lot of times, it uh, it, it leads to disjointed responses and the pivots from. You know, let me answer your question. But first, let me say this other thing makes it way more obvious. If you give candidates a little bit more time, uh, they can kind of get there in a more natural way. So I thought it was a very good format. I like the format WRAL used last night. Uh, I also really like Mattress Man. I bought my bed from them like eight years ago. Christy and I, we were looking to get a bigger bed. We had gone away on a, a trip and we had stayed in a hotel room. And it was the first time we ever stayed on a king size bed. And we were like, this is what we want to have a king size bed. So we go to Mattress Man. We went to the store uh, in Asheville on Tunnel Road. Uh, they have four stores in Asheville, Hendersonville, and Arden. So you can go to any one of them, or you can go to their website, mattressmanstores.com, and check out all of the great deals that they have on all sorts of mattresses. We got the memory foam, king size, of course, memory foam mattress. Uh, but if you don't want to get a memory foam, uh, you don't like them, or maybe it doesn't work very well with how you sleep, they have all sorts of other mattresses as well. They've got the traditional inner spring mattresses, the pocketed spring mattresses, uh, pillow tops, natural latex, hand-tufted, two-sided, hotel foam. Uh, So whatever you're looking for, they've got. Also, they've got sleep consultants that can help you pick the right mattress for you. They go through weeks of uh, extensive training to learn how people sleep, 
what beds are best for the way people sleep, you know, on your side or on your back or on your stomach. It really does make a difference. Here's another thing that makes a difference. The triple zero financing deal right now at Mattress Man. Zero down, 0% APR for up to 24 months and zero payments for 90 days. Also, you can take advantage of the deal on a free box spring with the purchase of a Biltmore mattress. These are the mattresses made by Restonic in Fayetteville. These are the mattresses that are at the Biltmore Hotel and Inn. Uh, They also are giving away free adjustable bases with the purchase of select mattresses as well. They've got a 10-inch queen-size gel memory foam mattress for just $3.99 as well. they got tons of deals. This is the best time for you to buy a mattress. And for the next debate, you can lay in your bed and watch it. Mattressmanstores.com experience the difference. They have a 120-day comfort guarantee, five-star local delivery service. They do ship nationwide. Mattressmanstores.com. Buy local and sleep better. So, um, the candidates last night, Tom Tillis, sitting U.S. Senator, up for re-election, Republican, and Cal Cunningham, former state lawmaker and uh, trial lawyer. And he is uh, the challenger. He's the Democrat. This is, I think, the first of, I think they're doing like two or three more debates as well. This one only ran an hour. I'm not, I didn't pull all of the audio, but I've got several large chunks of it. And I've tried to edit some of it down where it makes sense to where they go back and forth. So first off, they were given the opportunity to make an opening statement. Now, normally these opening statements are just <laughs> terrible. These last night, again, I think this was a byproduct of the format. They only gave them like 30 seconds to make an opening statement, which is probably all you really need because you're about to do this big debate. So why give these guys an opportunity to filibuster uh, right out of the gate? So give them 30 seconds and we're going to kind of hear what their focus is, what their theme is for the debate. I found it to be very helpful. And here, well, I'll play it. These Here are the uh, opening statements. On this stage tonight, you see two very different people with very different backgrounds. I grew up in a trailer park. I got my four-year degree when I was 36 years old, and I worked my way up into business. My opponent is a trial lawyer who has been running for office virtually ever since he got out of school. The last time he ran for the U.S. Senate, he lost. And now I believe he'll say anything to get elected. Not me. I believe in results and not rhetoric, and I'm going to work hard to earn your vote tonight. Cal Cunningham. David, thank you. You know, my Aunt Sis was an elementary school teacher, and at a young age, she taught me that a good listener is a good learner. And throughout life, whether that's in church, uh, in, in scouting in Lexington, building a small business in Raleigh, serving with the Army, Fort Bragg and overseas, I've come to believe that listening is the foundation of leadership. So in this campaign, I've been listening to North Carolinians. That's the kind of senator that I would be. And it's what I look forward to talking about tonight. All right. So these are the themes that they are going to keep coming back to throughout the course of the debate. Tom Tillis, his clear theme is his opponent is a career politician who will say anything to get elected. <laughs> well, maybe not a career politician, but uh, tries to be right. He, he was a state uh, state senator. And and by the way, he was a state senator back like 20 years ago, back before the Republicans took control of the General Assembly, which means there's a lot of material there to utilize, because when he was a state senator, Democrats were not governing very well. But anyway, um, so Tom Tillis saying he's, you know, this my opponent, he'll say anything to get elected. And Cal Cunningham says, I'm a listener 
and that's leadership. I look forward to talking about listening. <laughs> uh, there's also something, and this is not Cal Cunningham's fault, but um, his face. His, <laughs> I know how that sounds, <laughs> but his face is, uh, I guess you could say he has a kind-looking face because the way his eyebrows kind of, uh, they, they kind of furrow but go up in the center of the, uh, like right above his nose, right? So kind of this inquisitive kind of a look. But what it does is it it, it presents itself as, uh, it, it, it looks like uh, he's not serious. That's the way it comes across. And, and he, the entire time he was smirking. And I don't think he was like smirking. I think it just looked like he was smirking. Again, not his fault, but just the way that comes across is that he is smirking at times when it's really not called for. <laughs> it was kind of weird. Um, all right. So the first question was, how do you think President Trump has been handling the pandemic? Tom Tillis said, uh, look, the travel ban that Trump did was good. Cal Cunningham opposed it. Uh, he's like, I got, you know, PPE from Ohio that Governor Cooper needed. I got that for him. I did work on the CARES Act. I voted for the uh, the Paycheck Protection Program. I funded the Postal Service. But Cal Cunningham says he'd vote against all of this. The uh, you know, the latest re-upping of the CARES Act. He says I would, uh, I, that Cal Cunningham would vote against all of that. Cal Cunningham said we are witnessing an unprecedented failure of leadership. The true test of leadership is how you respond in the midst of a crisis. After 9-11, we were pregnant with Caroline, my daughter, but I enlisted and went overseas to serve in Iraq and Afghanistan. Today, we have lost more North Carolinians, 3,000 than all of the Americans lost in 9-11. Think about what the, what the response would have been if this had been a terrorist attack or a hurricane hitting our state. We would have mobilized every available resource in this nation, the finest health professionals, made sure they had every resource that they need. But that's not what we've seen. Instead, notwithstanding the fact that he was briefed in January, by his own admission, Senator Tillis did nothing for over a month. All right, so hang on a second. This is the thing I don't really understand. When you're making these arguments as the Democratic challenger to a U.S. senator, um, how are you not essentially condemning or criticizing the response from the Democratic governor, Roy Cooper? How, how can you say, like, well, we would have marshaled all these resources, we would have done all of these things, and the state should have been, you know, better prepared or whatever— and you're laying all of that at the feet of the U.S. senator, not at the feet of the governor, who actually is in charge of emergency operations, response to emergencies and uh, and crises and catastrophes, right? Why? Uh, it's a fine line. Like, and I don't envy them having to try and craft this uh, this argument to you know to target Tillis while also not catching. Cooper in any kind of friendly fire. It took him almost six months to come up with priorities. Instead, I was listening to North Carolinians talking about the priorities that I hear, contact tracing, personal protective equipment, health care for all North Carolinians, making sure that our schools had what they need. That's not been reflected in the policies pursued in Washington. Well, let's go back to this. But okay. Let's go back to the briefing. At the end of January, January the 24th, I sat in a room before they actually went and, and provided the same information to the public. And Dr. Fauci said we should be paying attention to it, but at that point they didn't really know what the threat was. A month later, 
I met with Dr. Fauci, the COVID task force again. They said, we still think that it's manageable, but we need to, we need to raise concern. I went out of that meeting and said, we should hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. At exactly the same time that Nancy Pelosi was in Chinatown in San Francisco saying, we're open for business. My opponent, at a time when we're trying to stem the tide from Wuhan province, and make no mistake about it, China is responsible for this crisis. Yes. My opponent criticized the president's act to try and reduce the spread by having a travel ban. Now my opponent, last week, said that he would vote against what people in North Carolina are desperately calling for. And my opponent's running mate, or the, pre the president, Biden, just last week said he wants to shut down he would shut down the economy if the scientists told him to. But those scientists right now are saying open schools safely, open, allow businesses to be open, They're, put more resources into vaccine research. That was the vote on the floor. And incidentally, make sure that you have unemployment that goes through the end of the year. In a crisis, you don't go for perfect. You go for good steps in the right direction. And if Cal were listening to the people in North Carolina, he would know to a person they would want him to vote yes on what I voted yes for last well, week. And, you know, we stand here tonight, gentlemen, with the benefit of hindsight. We're looking back now. We see uh, things differently than we saw in January, February, March. Uh, it continues to be extremely fluid. Yet from that January meeting, we learned that the president said he didn't want to create panic. Um, to talk about this more publicly at that time. What's your response to that? Look, I trust the American people, and I trust North Carolinians. Provide us the information. It's actually an essential quality of leadership that we share what we know. See, again, how do you make that argument against Tillis without also catching Governor Cooper in friendly fire? Because Cooper's administration has not been offering up all this information. They have not been explaining how they've decided certain things. Uh, they, they started out with one uh, goalpost and then they moved it somewhere else, right? The flattening the curve became waiting for a vaccine, which we're going to get to that in a minute. And the fact of the matter is there were senators who came out of the same briefing that Senator Tillis was in and other briefings in the same time period, and they called for action, both Democrats and Republicans. It's not what we heard from Senator Tillis. And about the travel ban, notwithstanding what he just characterized, I agreed with the travel ban. Where I found fault was we allowed another 40,000 people into this nation after the travel ban without checking, without checking their temperatures, doing the things that needed to be done. Did, did and we, we lost know, very did, valuable time. Public health experts can point to that. We lost very valuable time in those early days. We lost very valuable time when China refused to share information with us. Right. Did we and even know we needed to do those things no, back in January and February? we've got to go back to something so, else. And this is something David. I think is a challenge that I've seen Governor Cooper, I saw Governor McCrory, I saw Governor Perdue in my time as Speaker of the House and, and up front in the Senate. We want to make sure that on the one hand, we're doing everything we can to reduce the spread of this virus, but not, keep, uh, not create a, a crisis, additional crisis. One thing that we're not talking about right now are the victims of COVID who never got infected. The suicide crisis hotlines for the Veterans Affairs, I just had a committee meeting last week. They are dealing with an almost tenfold increase in suicide uh, calls. 
that we're dealing with parents who are afraid to let their children go out. We have schools shut down that scientists say you may be able to open safely and to give it a chance, as many schools in North Carolina have done, not many public schools. There's a fine balance that you have to strike when you're an elected leader. I had people calling on me to criticize Governor Cooper and his response, and I said, this is a fluid situation. The briefing we got in January was different from the briefing that we got in February. And after the briefing in February is when Nancy Pelosi and other and, and de Blasio up in New York were saying we're open for business. Right. There is a fine line or a balance between stoking fear and informing and preparing the public. And I think that Tillis is exactly correct on that. Um, and I think there's a lot of people in the media that uh, are leaning on, you know, one path there. Everything is about fear. And maybe they feel this fear. But the problem is, is that when all you hear all the time is the fear, then, of course, people are going to be afraid. We had dinner. Christy and I had dinner with some friends the other night. And... um they were from the Charlotte area. Uh, yes, we wore the masks and social distance and all that. But, uh, you know, I, I went over with them, like, the actual data uh, about uh, the risk of them getting COVID and dying from it is very, very low. And they had never heard this information before. And these are people who are, you know, aware. They they read the news, watch the news. They keep up to date. They, they, they were up to date on current events. And they had never heard what I was telling them. And this isn't information that is only known to me, right? It's just it doesn't make its way into sort of the, quote, mainstream media outlets. Um, Tillis also said in his answer, you know, in crises like this, you don't go for perfect. You go for good steps in the right direction. He got criticized for that um, because and I think he probably should have said it differently. You know, you can't expect to be perfect. I mean, yes, you should go for perfect, but you got to understand that that's not attainable. So you try to do the best you can. That's what he was trying to say, right? You can't, you can't get perfect. So you just try to get good steps in the right direction uh, when you're, you know, responding to these types of uh, crises. Now, if you're trying to get a good website, you can actually have it all. Uh, you can go for perfect and achieve it. You can get Schaefer Smith Design to build your website, uh, and you want it to look professional. You want it to be user-friendly. You want it to show up in search engine results. Uh, you want somebody maybe to do the maintenance and security side of it. Maybe you need to build an online store. Uh, maybe you need graphics, photos, a logo. I needed that, so I went to Schaefer Smith. Schaefer Smith Design, go to schaefersmith.com and put them to work for you and your business. You know how to run your business, uh, but you probably don't know a whole heck of a lot about running a website. He does. He can help you. Uh, go to schaefersmith.com and get the most out of your website. That's schaefersmith.com. All right, so in that answer, you hear Cal Cunningham talking about how uh, he would not have voted for this uh, CARES Act. You know, he's against the CARES Act. He says the issue that he has with the vote that Tom Tillis talks about is that it didn't expand health care for more people. Because this, by the way, this is not a coincidence, all right? The fact that Cal Cunningham is citing Medicaid expansion as the cure-all for Every single problem, just like Roy Cooper does. Oh, we got a problem with unemployment, Medicaid expansion. Oh, my gosh, we have a problem with the budget, Medicaid expansion. Oh, my gosh, we have systemic racism, Medicaid expansion. Not kidding. These are literally like Cal Cunningham literally tied Medicaid expansion to the Black Lives Matter protest movement. 
Yeah, the systemic racism uh, issue. <laughs> All right. So Medicaid expansion, is there anything it cannot do? So uh, he says that uh, the coverage gaps can be closed by expanding Medicaid. He wants more unemployment insurance assistance. And that's why he would not have voted for the recent relief bill in the Senate called the CARES Act. Deployment of things like the Defense Production Act, which could have been used from early days all the way through now to make sure we have a strong national response. Instead, we have seen a colossal failure of leadership in Washington. At the end of the day, Cal said in different words uh, that he voted against the Paycheck Protection Program. He would have voted against the Paycheck Protection Program, a program, incidentally, his company applied for. He criticized it while 120,000 businesses in North Carolina were applying for it. He criticized it. Then he said he wasn't on the payroll anymore. He got caught, had a report that he was on the payroll. You know, the, the Paycheck Protection Program is critically important, Dave. 122,000 businesses take, took it. It saved hundreds of thousands of jobs. Education funding, $105 billion, actually more than the House proposed, so that we can safely open schools. I'll be very specific about the unemployment. Cal, we're on, we've got a clicking to, a cl- clock that's ticking mm-hmm. that in a few weeks, they're going to lose the unemployment benefits. I haven't heard anything that you're against in terms of provisions, and yet you'd vote against all of it. Vaccine research, Project Warp Speed, we're on the brink of having a vaccine for the the fastest time in American history. I get that there are other things that we disagree with, but that you would take a vote in this crisis time really raises doubts in my mind about your ability to focus on the crisis at hand. That bill is an important bill that businesses, schools, parents, Healthcare workers, the Postal Service, all want. And it's a shame that you'd vote against it for other priorities that we can fight on another day. Let me make it absolutely clear. There has been a bill sitting on Mitch McConnell and your desk since earlier this year. And I have some issues with that bill as well. But it provides services, provides support, provides uh, what this is, nation and is this state Is that the bill needs. that provides a trillion dollars to failed states? The Heroes Senator, Act? When I talk <laughs> yes, to it was. the mayors it was. <laughs> and the city council members and the managers of North Carolina in Greensboro, along the coast, all just in the last weeks, they are doing their level best to deliver services here in North Carolina in the midst of this pandemic, and they are right on the verge of having to let people go. The law enforcement officers that we need on the streets, the sanitation workers who are picking up our trash, the first responders who are ready. So yes, we need to support our state and our local governments in the midst of this pandemic. They are holding on by a thread. You know, I feel like once again, Cal's saying whatever he has to to get elected, but he said, I support this bill that's been on Mitch McConnell's desk, but I've got concerns with it. Now, he says, I support the bill that you voted yes for, but I'd vote against it. He seems to be for things until he's against it (laughs) or vice versa. We have a crisis. We have a bill that will provide relief. We need to get it passed, and then we need to work on a follow-up. There's no question in my mind that we'll have to do more for the CARES Act. And incidentally, that bill also includes something else you said you support, except you're against this bill. And it's additional flexibilities to the state so that they can spend the money to recover from the revenue shortfalls that they've had. He's for every provision of the bill, but Mm -hmm. for the fact that he would vote against it. I want to make sure I've got clarity here. If that bill were on the floor tonight, where would your vote be? Oh, I would have voted against it. I would vote <laughs> against it tonight. It does not go far enough. 
It leaves but, out health care, David, right here in the middle of the pandemic. You just, That's you a just mentioned priority. something that I know viewers uh, get hung, hung up on at times. When you say it does not go far enough. Mm -hmm. Yes. In some people's mind, it would be a start. It would be a start. So why not start and push out and then add to what needs to be added versus saying no? Look. Let me just stop for a second. Great follow-up by David Crabtree from WRAL. Great follow-up. That question does not get asked enough at all, I would submit, of Democrats. Why not take half the loaf and then come back and fight for the other half later, right? This is like this is what is so frustrating about the current state of politics, particularly in this crisis, right? And it happens with the uh, the 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 uh, shutdown votes and with the the fiscal cliff votes, right? We demand all of this. Okay, well, we'll give you half of it. No, we have to have it all. It's not enough, so we're voting it all down. Like, how is that a legitimate position? And that's what Crabtree is asking. You support everything that's in this bill. Why wouldn't you vote for it and then go back and try to get the rest that you didn't get? And here's Cal Cunningham's answer. In the United States Senate, both parties have to come together in order to achieve anything. It was on a party line vote that this bill uh, was voted on, minus a Republican who sided, uh, who voted along with the Democrats. So the answer is what? That the Democrats all held the line against the bill, and so therefore it wasn't worth voting for? Like, that's some circular logic if I've ever heard it. Well, we're opposed to it because we were all opposed to it. See? So it's completely justifiable. <laughs> Rather than saying, I liked what's in it, but I'm not going to vote for it because I want the issue. That's what happened with this uh, with, with the relief package, the CARES versus the HEROES Act. That's what happened. Democrats wanted $3 trillion. Republicans said no. And Democrats said, well, then you don't get anything. On this particular measure, instead of working on relief in Washington, and Senator Tillis said he would stay there until the job was done, until we had an additional relief bill, he packed up. And he came home waiting for someone to call him and tell him, oh, this is the best we can do. Come back and vote on it. I think the senator for North Carolina expects the people of North Carolina, expects the senator for our state to roll up sleeves and find that common ground that <laughs> is what is necessary for progress in the United States. Wait, a minute, wait, wait, wait. He's saying you he's saying he he thinks the citizens of North Carolina expect the U.S. senator from our state to go to D.C., roll up their sleeves, and find the common ground. Yet, he just said the sentence prior, he just said that he agreed with everything that they proposed, but he wouldn't meet them on the common ground. Because that would be literally the common ground, right? Literally, the common ground was what the Republican CARES Act had, the extension of the PPP and all. Like, they said, hey, here's everything that we all agree on. And the Democrats said, no, we want more. And Republicans were like, well, we don't agree with you on that stuff. And Democrats said, well, then you don't get anything. That's not finding common ground. He's he's literally demanding Tillis do what he refuses to do. It takes both parties. This was a party line endeavor. Okay. And it did not meet core objectives that I hear from the people of North Cal Carolina. Cal said we need to meet together. And then he started by saying, I, I really think there's a lot of good things in a $3 trillion package that provides a trillion dollars to states that were failing before COVID ever occurred. Cal wants North Carolina taxpayers to subsidize New York. 
and California, incidentally, states that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer come from. New Jersey, states that failed to make the tough decisions to get their economies on track. So Cal, uh, again, he says he wants the, 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 uh, the two sides to come together, and then he takes a position that he knows was an overreach. The New York Times even said it was largely a messaging document. Nancy Pelosi packed up and went home too. Every single day when we were on recess during the week, I was on a call with Mark Meadows, Mnuchin, and the Republicans trying to get our members on board. We left a lot of priorities that Republicans would want on the table, and I was leading the effort so that we focused on something that we know businesses, teachers, unemployed people, people waiting for a vaccine want today. Right. Republicans did not get everything they wanted either. By the way, this was funny, too. Lefties online on Twitter during the debate, they were very upset at David Crabtree from WRAL at the way he was moderating after this question. They were like, uh, he's ganging up on Cal. Protect the precious. Like, how dare he ask that question? How can Cal debate Tillis and this moderator? Which is hilarious to anybody who knows WRAL and David Crabtree and has watched <laughs> over the years. Uh, you're going to tell me David Crabtree is, is in the tank for the GOP. Crabtree. Okay. Um, so that was the first thing. But it, what, what, what it uh, illustrates is how unaccustomed to pushback a lot of liberals are, right? Because th- that's what that sounded like. And that's something that it, it's foreign. You, you don't hear that. If you are of the left and you are a politician or you're paying attention to politics and, you know, you've got your team jersey and you love your D's, um, that's something you don't ever hear your guys get subjected to. Republicans are very aware of how that works, okay? People on the right, we get that all the time. <laughs> that's, whenever you say anything in a public forum, someone is going to say, well, your critics say blah, blah, blah. Well, why would you do this? There's always a um, a, force, a forcing you to uh, justify and defend your position. Always. The left rarely gets that. They just say, well, I'm for women's health, and oh, okay, great, and then you move on. You know, I'm for the poor. Oh, okay, great. And then you move on. There's never any kind of pushback against the left. And honestly, it makes them intellectually lazy. This is why I always say unchallenged ideas are easy to hold. When you get challenged, as it seems Cal Cunningham just was, he doesn't have an answer for it. He's literally talking uh, both sides of that issue. He's saying you need to work together, uh, need to find common ground, but the common ground that they presented, I would reject. So which is it, right? Uh, and then that clumsy pivot to, uh, well, he left town. He doesn't work for us. He needs to roll up his sleeves. It was just just clumsy and um, unnecessary. Didn't need to try and you know shoehorn that in, the whole, oh, he left town and he doesn't work for us. It, it sounds, like I said, it was clumsy. It didn't work very well. Now, what does work very well, by the way, is the Karcher Mister at General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. It is safe for kids and pets and food contact surfaces. It uses vital oxide disinfectant. So what does this mean? Well, it will completely uh, disinfect and sanitize your workplace, your house, property that you manage, uh, child care facility, Airbnb owners, for example, hair salons, places of worship, um, whatever you need to be disinfected. By the way, it also knocks out mold, mildew, and fungi. Uh, it uses this all-in-one hospital-grade EPA-approved germicidal disinfectant sanitizer and deodorizer, which means 
that it kills 99.9% of infection-causing bacteria and viruses, including the coronavirus, but also norovirus, H1N1, influenza B, E. coli, MRSA. So if you're not keeping your workplace clean for your customers and your employees, please get on over to General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. Get the Karcher Mister. Uh, you rent it for, you know, half a day, a couple hours. You bring it to the place. You, you spray everything down. And then you're good for like seven to ten days. All you have to do is some spot cleaning in the high traffic areas. It's super easy to use. It rolls around on four independent wheels. It's like the size of a shop vac. And it's cordless. And you just spray everything down. It's fantastic. And you don't even have to rinse anything afterwards. It's non-toxic, hypoallergenic odorless it's colorless 100 percent biodegradable and it is 100 percent available at general equipment rental general equipment rental in weaverville family owned and operated now for three generations meeting all of your equipment rental needs generalrents.com that's generalrents.com in weaverville generalrents.com think outside your toolbox all right then at the debate the question comes up about vaccines and um, Cal bricked this one. He <laughs> he totally screwed this one up. If there was a vaccine by November 3rd, by the election, or by the end of the year, would you and your family take it? That was the question. Pretty simple, straightforward question. Or so I thought. Like, when I heard the question from Crabtree, I thought, why is he asking this question? Why would you take the vaccine? Um Obviously, Crabtree knew something I did not, uh, because Tillis said, yeah, the FDA is the gold standard in drug approval. He says, I'd gladly take it, um, but I would want the people in congregate care facilities, vulnerable people, the vulnerable populations, healthcare workers, um, he, law enforcement officers. He says, I would want them to get it first, and then, yeah, then I would take it. And I think we place a priority on that, and as soon as I know that they've been protected, then I'll be standing in line. From a safety standpoint, you would take it. Look, I've got questions, and I think we have seen entirely too many times, and especially in recent years, politics intervening in what should be driven by health and science. So you're not going to take the vaccine. You have questions. Whether it's CDC, uh, Center for Disease Control, suggestions and recommendations on how we deal with this pandemic, we've seen politics intervene there. Historically and traditionally, I would support and, and have confidence in the Food and Drug Administration <laughs> and the processes that they go through in order to approve uh, a drug. But we have seen an extraordinary corruption in Washington. We have seen political and financial corruption that has intervened in and diluted and distorted decision-making in Washington, D.C. So as the senator for North Carolina, I would have a lot of questions of the FDA I think the American people have questions about the government of this country, the governance of this country right now. The senator for North Carolina would be asking questions not only about this vaccine, but also about the underlying political and financial influences that are leading to distorted decision making in Washington. So how, how is this any different than anti-vaxxers, by the way? This is conspiracy theory kind of territory he's engaged in right now. He's saying, like, I'm not going to take the vaccine because Trump. That's essentially what he's arguing. I got questions, which, by the way, that is always how conspiracy theorists uh, argue. Always. 
They're always saying, look, I'm just asking questions. And if you've ever heard me argue and debate with a conspiracy theorist, what do I always tell them? Make the assertion. Make your accusation. Don't just throw some stuff out there and say, what do you think it means? No, make your case. And he's a lawyer. He needs to make his case here. He's just saying, oh, I would have a lot of questions because orange man bad. Meanwhile, people on the left who are, you know, vulnerable to getting the disease, um, they're hearing this and they're going to say, well, you know, Cal, he's a smart guy. He's my guy. I love Cal Cunningham. And so uh, if it's if he's not going to take it, then I'm not either. Yeah, I mean, if Trump wants me to take it, I'm not taking it. Cal said so. Like how incredibly reckless and dangerous this is. Right. I mean, this is the standard that the left and the media, but I repeat myself, that they have been promoting throughout this entire pandemic. Do I read you to say you would be hesitant to receive the vaccine if it were approved by the end of the year? I'm going to. Yes, I would be hesitant, but I'm going to ask a lot of questions. I think that's incumbent on all of us right now in this environment with the way we've seen politics intervening in Washington. I mean, if we we can almost look no further than Senator Tillis taking over four hundred thousand dollars from Big Pharma and then even blocking his own party's efforts to reduce the cost of prescription drugs. Wait, wait, what you're talking about? The pharmaceutical industry donations now, and you're saying that that is somehow relevant to the FDA and the CDC and all of these labs trying to find a cure for COVID-19 so more people don't die within the uh, within the, the coming year. Hmm. Again, just asking questions. Politics, corruption, financial and political in Washington are a major problem right are, now. Are that's one of the reasons, donations. by the way, David, by the way, that's one of the reasons I'm in this campaign. We need reform in Washington. David, we need to clean up Washington. We just heard a candidate for the U.S. Senate look into the camera and tell 10 million North Carolinians he would be hesitant to take a vaccine. I think that that's irresponsible. That gentleman that I spoke with who wants to see his wife who has Alzheimer's would take the vaccine in a heartbeat and would want to make sure that his wife got it as well. We are not going to release a vaccine that doesn't have the effectiveness and safety that the gold standard of the FDA requires. But my opponent talked a while back about managing in a crisis. And what he said tonight to 10 million people in North Carolina is he would be hesitant to take the vaccine. In order for us to beat COVID, we have to be vaccinated. We need 60 or 70% of the population to develop an immune response. Some will come from people who get the vaccine and recover, or, or who get the virus and recover, others from the vaccine. In the middle of a crisis, you don't undermine an effective process in the FDA. You don't, you don't shorten the line of people who desperately need the vaccine. That statement puts lives at risk and it makes it more difficult to manage the crisis that he pretends to say he's, he's ready, to, he's up to the task to manage. Look, I think it's incumbent on every American, and it is one of the finest traditions of America that we ask questions of our leaders and of our government. And especially, especially when we have seen the corruption and the influence, political and financial, in the decision-making in Washington, we should be asking tough questions. We should not take things on face value. As I said, historically, traditionally, I would have confidence in the FDA going through those phase trials. Those making sure there's integrity in that process would be incumbent on, frankly, all of us. Because you're right, 
we do need the vaccine. This is how we beat this virus. It's going to require a vaccine. Kyle, I'll just leave it at, or, or, or Dave, I'll leave it at this. Cal Cunningham went on record as saying we need to trust Dr. Fauci. I trust Dr. Fauci. I trust the FDA. I think it's irresponsible for anybody running for any level of office to sit here and undermine that process. Cal's a trial lawyer. He's not a doctor. He's not a scientist. He's not an epidemiologist. What he's saying is what he thinks will get him elected because that's what Harris said, undermining the process. We are in a crisis. This is not the time to cast doubt on the most reputable organization in the world when it comes to drug and vaccine approval, and that's the FDA. Right, so obviously uh, the standard that Cal Cunningham is laying out here is that Democrats don't trust the FDA and the CDC if there's a Republican in the White House. This was not a good answer, okay? It is... Uh, it's now being used as a soundbite. It was being used as a soundbite within minutes uh, by the rapid response Spinmeister folks. You know, it was immediately followed then by predictions that there would be, you know, cleanup on aisle five. <laughs> right, immediately when he said this, everybody just was kind of like, did he really just say this? And then he was asked to clarify and he doubled down. And he restated it. So, you know, that this was messaging that they worked on that the Democratic team worked on. They're trying to instill doubt in a vaccine because they think it will hurt Trump. They think it will hurt other candidates that are Trump aligned. This is it, it, like, I don't know anything about the vaccine. I'll wait and see what happens. But if they come out with a vaccine, yeah, I'm probably going to take it too, right? Like, I am. I have other vaccines. I get the flu shot too. I do that. I'm one of those people. Now, if you're one of the people that are looking for military surplus, old Grouch's military surplus uh, in downtown Clyde's where you need to go. He's got an extended line of first aid kits and medical supplies. Um, this can help you with all kinds of emergencies, everything from scrapes to gunshot wounds uh, with step-by-step -step instructions that anybody can follow. He also has body armor, all kinds, and these are made to NATO specs. This is for in-store or over-the-phone purchases only. He's got face masks that are made locally by a disabled veteran's family. Uh, they make them out of military parachutes, so they're lightweight and they are soft, really comfortable. Uh, also, steel gas cans, the pre-ban old-school ones, the good ones, basically. He has also tons of real U.S. military surplus for more than three decades. Old Grouch's military surplus on Main Street in downtown Clyde. Yes, the shop is open Monday through Saturday. It's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun for real. And at oldgrouch.com. That's oldgrouch.com. So immediately after Cal Cunningham says this, People start saying, oh, my gosh, that was a terrible answer. He's going to have to walk this back. And sure enough, in the spin room, immediately following the debate, Cunningham responds to a question from Dewan Hoggard uh, from WTVD. Dewan, let me make it absolutely clear that uh, what I'm talking about is making sure we do due diligence as a nation. <laughs> we need to put public health first. We need to put science first. And we've seen too often in Washington and especially in this pandemic, our public health professionals and some of the most important leaders uh, in the public health community will be influenced by politics. The point that I'm making is that we need to go through that due diligence. We need to make sure that our public health professionals, our medical professionals, the FDA, and the professionals and scientists there sign off, give this. If they sign off free of politics, you bet I'll take that vaccine. I won't hesitate. I won't hesitate. Uh, my family won't. 
We'll make sure that it gets uh, deployed. We need a national strategy to deploy it at scale. Of course, I, I will take it. I, I So what is he really saying differently here? He's just saying, yes, I'll take it. But he's still saying everything else that he was trained to say, that he rehearsed saying. It's all the same. He's He's not changing his position on any of this, right? He's just clarifying that, yes, I will take the vaccine. Of course, I will take the vaccine after I ask all my questions and I'm very hesitant about it all, just like everything I just said. See, so I, I'm not walking anything back as I walk all of this back and just restating and clarifying and amending my comments, but not really amending them. I'm just adding to them, uh, but not changing any of the meaning. <laughs> this is... This is how bad the answer was, which, again, this is what happens when you surround yourself with people of a like mind only. These people obviously crafted this statement. And Cal is not the only one to say this, right? Tillis mentioned it in the debate as well that Kamala Harris has said this. This is a line of attack that Democrats are are using in order to undermine confidence in a vaccine and undermine confidence in Donald Trump and score some political points against Donald Trump that you shouldn't get this vaccine, you know, because it's Trump's FDA and, you know, Donald Trump is totally corrupting this whole thing. And Donald Trump is probably just going to rush out some placebo so he can claim that he saved everyone's lives like this is how their minds work. You have all these labs all over the world trying to figure this out. And then you got Democrats that are like, you know what, though? I'm not so sure. I think Trump's going to just put some sugar water pills out there, you know, and uh, <laughs> and and tell everybody it's the it's the vaccine when it isn't. And then everybody will will uh, praise him and he'll get reelected. That's how they think, which is obviously a command control economic mindset. Right. It really is like that. The idea that that somebody that one person would be able to orchestrate something like that. It really, I mean, it speaks to the mindset of a collectivist ideologue, one who thinks that a single person can do that sort of a thing. Like, to me, uh, as a free market capitalist, I hear that and I'm like, that's just crazy. You've got all of these different entities, all these different people in different organizations, in different cities, in different countries, and they're all working in different ways, trying to figure this problem out. That is the best way to go about doing it. Because somebody's going to key on something, and they're going to figure it out, and everybody's going to get to benefit and then work off of that knowledge, right? That's but that's a free market kind of approach, right? That's uh, that's the beautiful chaos that occurs, and then from that chaos, a solution emerges. But that's why, by the way, also you don't want a single person in charge of all of this kind of power, because then they could do something like that, right? It's they like they're te- they're making they're honestly making an argument inadvertently so he's making an argument for federalism he's making an argument for limited government he's making an argument for separation of powers <laughs> i don't know if they're aware of that if the public health and the medical professionals uh, give it the, the seal of approval and that's my point but we've seen too many times in washington politics corrupting decision making including decision making about public health Changes to the Center for Disease Control guidelines in so order you, to meet a political agenda. You can tell, what? I'm going to stop that audio because you can tell, like, that is not ideal. You were on television with clearer audio in a controlled environment, and you had your opportunity to make your point, and you blew it. And so now you're trying to clean up uh, on this, you know, Zoom chat with the terrible audio quality. What do you think more people are going to hear and see? 
What message breaks through more easily? What do you think? Here's what I think. If you're buying or selling a home, you need to use Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. Christy and I are 333-4483 is the phone number. 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com is the website. She is the official Homes for Heroes real estate agent in Asheville. It's a national program that gives buyers and sellers 25% back from the realtor commissions. This goes to police officers, firefighters, healthcare professionals, educators, and members of the military, veterans, active duty, and retired. Call Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team at 333-4483 and then start packing. The next question was about the systemic racism. Does it exist? How do we neutralize it? And Tilla says, yes, there is systemic racism. That's why he supported Senator Tim Scott's police reform bill called the Protect Act. The guy that Cal Cunningham's being supported, $75 million in the state spent and directed by Chuck Schumer to get Cal Cunningham elected. Chuck Schumer went to the floor. He wouldn't even let us debate it. It was increased standards for police officers. It was better, uh, more resources for body cams. It was providing these law enforcement officers the training and also the therapy they need for the dangerous job that we do. Now, while we're trying to get on and, and fix the problem, listen to the voices of the peaceful protesters. Just uh, four weeks ago, about three miles from here, we had protesters chanting, abolish the police. While they were protesting, I wrote this down because I didn't want to get it wrong. Cal Cunningham tweeted, I join you in the fight. And now this has gotten out of control. You saw the reports of the two shootings in Los Angeles over the weekend. Two people ambushed by somebody. These protesters now go to the hospital and say, I hope you die. By the way, it was really weird when Tillis was recounting that story right there. Cunningham laughed. I don't know why. We just had a law enforcement officer in the western part of the state die, shot in the face, died, a Marine who had been serving in the police department for nine years, die. The, 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 the answer to the question is to get people in the room. It would have been to pass the PROTECT Act and allow Democrats to amend it any way they wanted to, and they shut it down. And Cal was okay with that vote. I'm not okay with that vote. There are issues, there are bad actors. But the vast majority of police officers, incidentally, the Troopers Association and the Benevolent Association for North Carolina have endorsed me, know that I realize that most people that go to work every day, they kiss their wife goodbye, they say goodbye to their children, are good, hardworking law enforcement officers. And Cal has literally said, I join you in the fight when the crowd is chanting, okay. abolish the police. Look, this is, this is an incredibly important time. We have to recognize that we didn't get to where we are today by accident. We got here by law. We got here by policy. We got, by, got here by the way people feel in their hearts. Systemic racism shows up in very quiet places. And that's because of the history that we all inherit. Getting from here to the future that we need is gonna require thoughtful and intentional, serious investment an effort on the part of the government. It's not just about law enforcement, and I wanted to address this because I'm gonna take a back seat to no one when it comes to making sure that our communities are safe and the proposals that I've put out invest in stronger law enforcement. And what happened on the Senate floor with that PROTECT Act, that was a railroad job. That was written in a closed room. It was not, didn't go through a hearing process. There was not discussions about how it would be amended. That's not how you bring people together around one of the most important issues of our time. There's a real big problem with what was embedded in, in some of 
uh, by Cal's comments about the PROTECT Act. You know, Tim Scott is an African-American man who has seen racial bias up front. Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina, crafted that bill, and because we were in a crisis, got it to the floor. Chuck Schumer, and, and I can tell that Cal is spending a lot of time listening to Chuck Schumer, I would guess so if you had $75 million coming into your campaign, said it was a railroad job. I'm not gonna get into the mechanics of the chamber, but Chuck Schumer had total ball control. What he was afraid of is that we were gonna have a vote on the floor that was as reasonable as the vote that we had last week to backfill the Paycheck Protection Program and to get schools back open. That was not a railroad job. That was Chuck Schumer's way of saying, we're gonna let this crisis continue. Cal comes back and says, I join you in the fight when they're chanting, abolish the police. Cal Cunningham also, there's a reason why the state troopers and the Police Benevolent Association has endorsed me. They've heard Cal. They don't like what he has to say or what he stands for. Cal even wants to go so far as to take away what's called qualified immunity. I don't know if you saw the reports of the police officer who had to shoot someone who was about to stab him. It's irrefutable. It's on a body cam. Cal Cunningham supports something that's called eliminating qualified immunity. What that tells every police officer is that, that is even not if you're true. cleared of all charges, even that if you're cleared of all true. charges, then you could be sued, you could lose your home, your retirement, and everything you've worked for. So you say that's not true? No, it's a, that is, look, it's, 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 Cal, election, it's election season, it is silly season. I mean, season. either it's true or it's not. It, it, yeah. is, it, is, it is not. So now, Cal, we, watched, we watched, America watched, the knee of a law enforcement agent on, on the throat of George Floyd. And thankfully, right? he's from, gone from, to prison. From, from Fayetteville, North yeah. Carolina. Who, from Fayetteville, North Carolina. If a law, but that is not an approved law enforcement technique. And right now, the law of America is a patchwork about civil liability. When law enforcement agents can and cannot be sued, they don't understand. The public doesn't understand. We need to statutize what is permissible and what is statutize. not permissible. That's not a statutize is not a word. And uh, this was not a good response. He actually has a defensible position. He just wasn't able to articulate it very well for whatever reason. I'm not quite sure. Uh, all right. That's a wrap for this episode. Thanks for hanging out. I watched the debate, so you didn't have to. Remember, subscribe to the podcast. It's the easiest and best way to help me out. I appreciate that. Thank you for the support. We'll talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.